Rishusi Rabbeim slash panelists and all the Bnei Yeshiva. It's a joy to be here tonight and I'll just say from the get-go something is very unusual about what we're going to discuss tonight and how we're going to discuss it. The most unusual thing is that I'm standing here right now. It's unusual. I learned in Yeshiva, I studied in Yeshiva and those who knew me when I was in Yeshiva would not have expected to see me here, certainly not in a uh, Sifas Musar slot. But what I think we're going to be talking about tonight is something quite real and quite serious that specifically requires this format to discuss. In 1999, there was a magazine called The Jewish Observer. It was published by Agudas Yisrael. They had one issue that came out in 1999 that sold out of all of the magazine stands. You really couldn't find a copy, though some exist online now. On the cover of the 1999 issue of the Jewish Observer, they had a story that on the front cover said, Teens on the Fringe. And it used a term that people hadn't really been using up until that point called Off the Derech. Off the Derech. And this issue, nearly 20 years ago, was the first time that the concept of people who have been raised in Torah homes, people who were raised in Torah institutions and fell in love with Yiddishkeit, the first time that it was brought to the attention of the Jewish community that some of these people were opting out and leaving. It's interesting that in the stories of Revelation, we have two major models. The Rebbe of Torah Shabbat of Moshe Rabbeinu comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at a burning bush. There's fire. It's very clear to see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, somebody's revealing themselves to him. And that's how Moshe Rabbeinu discovers HaKadosh Baruch Hu, discovers God for the very first time. There's another model. And that's the model of the Rebbe of Torah Shabbat Peh, Rebbe Akiva. And we all know the Medrash that Rabbi Akiva saw little drops falling down into a rock and ultimately formed a cleft, a dent in the rock. And he said, from this I can develop to a relationship with Torah. Water slowly over time can develop a relationship to Torah, so can I. Sadly, I think these two models of revelation are also models in many ways of absence, of the way people leave and opt out, so to speak, of Yiddishkeit of the Jewish community. Like that 1999 issue in the Jewish Observer, there are people who leave with a burning bush. It's a clear moment, maybe there's trauma, maybe there's crisis. And the way that they leave and the sense that they're gone is very obvious and very clear. But there are other ways that people leave the Jewish community. And it's a trickle, and it's very slow, and you don't always see it. And I believe that if the issue of 1999, 20 years ago, was the issue of opting out through a burning bush, I think right now we're living in a time where it's not teens who are getting you know, interesting haircuts and it's very obvious to everybody that they're not interested, but it's people in this very base medrash who they feel a trickle of concern they feel a trickle of frustration. They feel a trickle of worry in their lives 
of is this sustainable? Am I going to be a Ben Torah? Am I going to have that same connection with Yiddishkeit that I have now in five years from now, in ten years from now, in twenty years from now? And I think that if the Jewish people and life is we're taking this airplane and we are flying it, so to speak, over the trajectory of our lives, we're losing a lot of airplanes. And we're not losing them in our teenage years. I think we're losing them in our 20s. And I think we're losing them in a very specific place. What I've shared to some people before is a Bermuda Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle of your 20s of where people start to feel the pressure and the expectations of the Jewish community and of Yiddishkeit. And they start to wonder, how am I going to negotiate? How am I going to figure out where I stand in these three points? And that's going to be our discussion today. And those points are what is my family, marital life going to look like? What is my religious, communal life going to look like? And what is my professional career life going to look like? And each of those have their own expectations, challenges, and of course opportunities. I just want to say a word about why we're doing it like this. So bring somebody. Bring somebody in to talk about it. Why are we having a, a panel session inside of the base metrics? This isn't normally done. Why do it like this? There's a medrash in Mitzorah that says that Rabbi Yanai couldn't understand the pasuk of Miha Isha Chafetz Chaim. He didn't understand it. He was looking to try to figure out what does this pasuk mean? And he said he spent his whole life trying to figure out the meaning of this pasuk until he chanced upon a rochel, a peddler. And he came upon this peddler and the peddler the Medrash says, told him the Pasuk, Miha Chaim, and finally Rabbi Yanai understood what this Pasuk meant and what it was all about. Many Mepharshim, but Rabbi Tzadok HaKohi in particular points out, what did, the, what did the peddler tell him? He's trying to figure out what the Pasuk meant. You have this peddler going through town. He just repeated the same Pasuk. There's no var, there's no big idea. There's nothing in writing. So what did he tell him? So Rabbi says something very beautiful. He says that the rochel wasn't just a peddler, but the word rochel could mean somebody who struggles with Lashon Hara, a Baal Lashon Hara. This rochel, when he heard the Pasuk of Miha Isha Chafetz Chaim, about the importance of Shmiris Halashon, from somebody themselves who struggled with this, then all of a sudden the meaning and the depth of the Pasuk through the lens of this rochel's experience took on a new meaning. And I think the way that we're going to approach these questions is not just through Torah, through Mara Makomos, but through the Torah of experience. The Torah of what our lives, what our stories, what our own struggles, challenges, and opportunities that we've been through have taught us, and hopefully we can share and grow and learn how to navigate these years in a more productive way. So our panelists really need no introduction, Rabbanim in, uh, in the yeshiva, 
But I'm going to open up with the following question. We're going to go through all of these three points. Religion, profession, and family. And I want to open up with the following question. What steps do you wish you had taken in your 20s to better prepare for your religious life in your 30s and 40s? And what steps did you actively take that you think did prepare you in a better way? Not for your, when you were 26, 27, but a decade later, two decades later. First, I just want to preface that I can speak for myself and for Moshe Tzvi as well. There's uh, an enormous feeling of humility being sitting up here in a yeshiva that means so much to us in a place that we spent our formative years. And just to be here in this context, in this setting, it's humbling and it's daunting, and uh, we really just appreciate you being here and appreciate doing this with our very fine chaverim. I think if there's something that I look back on in life and I wish I had done differently, I wish I had focused on more, it's always hard to look back and say, I wish this, I wish I had done that, because it's often a, a false narrative. You know, everything that happens in your life leads you to this point. But I think it would have been the recognition that specific challenges that I personally had and challenges that other people might have as well are things that don't necessarily just go away. So for instance, even speaking very personally, I never felt that I was the most like, disciplined person when I was a bucker here. A lot of hislavos, a lot of passion, a lot of desire, a lot of hopefully good kochos, but the inability to be consistent, the inability to sort of be as focused. And then a person thinks that, okay, fine, you know, I'll get married and I'll move on and I'll do this and I'll do that. And, but the reality is, is that you know, real issues need to be worked on meticulously, thoroughly. It's not enough that a person goes off and gets married and have kids and starts working, but to really say, you know, this is the opportunity to really look at ourselves and what's holding us back and not to wait 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. So that would have been sort of a, a religious opportunity that we've taken uh, younger and probably a lot of us not having hajracha also, not knowing what is an issue, what's not an issue, but um, certainly focusing and not just sort of waiting for life to take care of, uh, of past challenges. Everything's been said about the feeling of, of sitting here and how strange this is, doing this in this way. But I often speak and think about the Gemara in Yoma that says, Daga believe ish, Pasuk Mishlei says, Daga believe ish, Yashchena. Pasuk means if a person has worries in their heart, if there's things on your mind, you should suppress it. You should just push it aside, like Rabbi Blast was saying, you know, hope that maybe it disappears somewhere down the road. But Chazal offer another interpretation, which is, Daga believe ish, Yisichena, which means talk it out, and to have these types of conversations. And I think 
I think with, uh, again, with a tremendous sense of understanding of where we are, and I think with a proper amount of uh, humility and respect for this makom, and it was not a simple decision to want to, to do this in the middle of night seder, I think it's, uh, it's something that the Rebbeim felt strongly about, the Mashkichim felt strongly about, and it's conversations that we need to have. We need to have them as a tzibor, we need to have them as individuals. For some of us, it's the beginning of a conversation, for some of us, it's a hemshech of a conversation. On this specific question, in terms of things that I maybe would have done differently in terms of planning for life at this stage, and things maybe that, that I was able to do right. One of the things that I think I did right when I was in YU is that I allowed myself to explore in terms of finding my chilek in Torah in a very, in a very expansive way. The B'makam Shalibo Chafetz, in the way that some explain, to, to allow myself, I spent a lot of time in the library just looking at different svarim, I had different stages where I was into different things. I had a, a stage where I was very into Shilas and Chuvos. I just wanted to know, like, who, who wrote all these Shilas and Chuvos and what were the issues of the time? It's not a normal way for a person, it's not necessarily the most masudr way for a person to, to develop their skills in learning. Uh, in terms of Sifrei Machshava, I was also, I was curious, I was exploring. I had no exposure to Sifrei Chasidus, which is something that those who know me know that it's something that's very important to me now. So I allowed myself, on one hand, to, to explore, and that, I think, very much developed my kesher to learning, my love of learning. The downside, of course, is that I, I traded some of that valuable time, which probably could have been spent in a more organized fashion. I had a nightly charusa, bakiyas, for two hours in Gemara. I was doing all the regular things also. But I made, I made a certain choice to want to explore more broadly, to give myself that sense of sipo kanefesh to learn what I wanted to learn. And again, it came, it came at a cost, but it came with a tremendous benefit. I think if I have any love of learning today, it's from that tekufa of allowing myself to not have the, the svarim that everyone else had necessarily in the base medrash, but to allow myself to also have other svarim and to explore different ideas. In terms of what I wish I did more of, and I blast hinted to it, I, I wish I would have spoken to, to people more. I think there's a big gap in terms of the mitzvahs of what life is after yeshiva. And again, life in yeshiva means a lot of different things for different people, but I think there's a, I think there's a lack of understanding of what the mitzvah is, regardless of what that mitzvah is going to be. So for those who are more professionally inclined going into the workforce, which is the majority of the people who come through YU, to, to understand that to talk to people who are out in the world and understand what, what are the challenges. And I think we've become better in yeshiva of bringing some of those personalities in and to having those conversations, but to really to understand what are the realities. Not to first uh, get to work and find out, wow, this is really hard. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with Talmidim when they started working said, I wish I would have known that. So there's nothing that's stopping us from, from finding that out. To find role models, both in the base Medrash and outside the base Medrash, and to have those conversations and just, to just to really know the facts. For those who are, are interested in spending more time in the base Medrash or in Chinuch or in Rabbanus, you also need to know the facts. I had a conversation with someone recently who said, I, I would like to go into Klai Kodesh, I would want to be a Rav or a Rebbe, I'd like to be in Chinuch. My parents, my parents uh, forbid it. My parents won't allow me to pursue that. So usually that comes about because the parents have financial concerns for their children. They think that it's difficult to make a living in Chinuch, there are challenges. But also I said to this person, do you know the Metzias? Do you understand what the realities are? Do you know how your Rebbein pay their bills? Maybe that's a very personal question. But to understand what the realities are and not to wait, like Rabbi Bless said, until a person falls into it to start figuring everything out. 
It's hard when you're focused on your shir, and you're focused on your college classes. It's hard to, to be thinking, what is life going to look like in five years from now? But again, if a, person, if a person takes the time to have those conversations, not just, again, book learning, and not just exploring Torah, like I was saying at the beginning, but to, to have conversations with people and to get their life experience, like Rabbi Shefka introduced, to, to learn the Torah of experience, as opposed to waiting until a person encounters it. I think that's... Uh, that's something that I regret. There was a lot of things I didn't know simply because I didn't, I didn't reach out to enough people to have that conversation. Those who know, I learned in Ner Yisrael before uh, I came to YU. And in Ner Yisrael, where Ruderman actually had a takana when he first established the yeshiva. I didn't overlap with uh, Ruderman. Uh, but he, when he first established the yeshiva, there's a, in Ner Yisrael, it's very hard to find different shilas and chuvos. Because Rav Ruderman, when he established the yeshiva, was nervous that if you put certain svarim on the shelf, certain shalos and shuvas, they're so geshmak that nobody's going to learn Gemara. And I never knew, like, who was he worried about? And we, we just figured it out. <laughs> Do you think that there are areas where people are too focused on religiously? And do you think there are areas that people are not focused on enough that would be beneficial for their religious life in the long run? Well, I can't say that people are too focused on one area versus another area. But I can't help but feel that there's a lot of time spent on learning, which is, of course, there's a lot of time spent on shmirits and mitzvahs. There's a lot of time spent on even sifrei machshava, and maybe even sifrei musar, but is all of that also creating a, a deeply felt connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? I mean, do we still have like all the trappings of the life of the base Medrash, um, the life of an Eved Hashem? But like Bepnimiyish and Bepnimiyish, do we feel this incredibly loving embrace of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and that sense of like a depth of faith? And the reality is like that faith, that Bitochon, is not on full display, isn't fully necessary, perhaps at the age of 21 or 22 or, you know, but then as the years go on and life becomes more complicated, a person needs to tap into those reservoirs of faith. And do we sort of like forget that a little bit? Do we sort of forget like the, the inner world of the Jew and, and allowing tefillah to be something that's completely alive, to feel Kodesh completely in our lives? We speak about it, we reference it, we learn. And I think to some degree in our yeshiva, probably in all yeshivas, that's lost a little bit. And I think that's something that uh, desperately needs to be cultivated at an early age. Tefillah definitely, the need to work on tefillah is definitely something that resonates with me. I was talking to a good friend of mine who I have tremendous respect for. He's a tremendously uh, thoughtful person and a big Talmud Chacham. And he said to me recently, and it, it, it resonated with me so deeply, he said, I know how to learn, and I love learning. He said, I don't know how to daven a single word. And I said, I know exactly what you mean. I have no, I have no idea how to daven. I have no idea how to daven. And to be able to, to be able, in a base medrash, in an intellectual environment, like a yeshiva, where Baruch Hashem, there are high levels of learning, and there are many levels of learning, 
But to be able, like Rabbi Bless is saying, to, to develop that connection to davening, and to make the time for davening, I think is, is sorely lacking. I don't think as a community we value it enough at all. It's hard to find a minion in the world, in, in our world certainly, whatever that means, that uh, a shachar's minion that goes for more than 30 minutes where it's possible to keep up. And we're not, we're not necessarily even looking for that. We're not necessarily trying to seek that out. In terms, in terms of, again, in terms of what Rabbi Bless was saying, in terms of developing that kesher with Amuna, it's unbelievable how quickly people can be shaken. I spent, I spent Shabbos this past Shabbos at Stern College. I was in Midtown Manhattan for Shabbos. And just being a Jew, walking back and forth by myself from the hotel I was staying at, back and forth to Stern, and just seeing the, the buzz and the noise of the city. On the one hand, it's this moment of tremendous loneliness, being a, being a firm Jew in the world, and being able to say, as people go about their regular Friday night routine, which doesn't need to be described in a base medrash, to be able to say, Baruch Hashem, I have Shabbos, to really feel that, that deep sense of pride that I wouldn't want anything else, to be able to, to, be able to walk through the world with a certain confidence, that as a Jew, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed not to be embarrassed of it. And again, sometimes that hits a person in the face in a really strong way. You could have, have a lot of Torah knowledge under your belt, but if, again, if, you don't know how, if you don't know how to dive into Hashem, and if you're, not, if you're not emphasizing that aspect, and if you're not... The way the Chazanish explains the difference between Amunah and Bitachon is that Amunah is the theory and Bitachon is the practice. I think the theory we're, we're pretty good at. I think most Jews will say comfortably, most Jews will say very comfortably that they, that, they believe in, that they believe in Hashem. It's a different thing when you're making a decision in your work environment, in, your, in, your, you know, in a secular environment where many people around you don't share your values and don't share your commitments. To be able to apply that lamaisa is not, is not so simple. And again, if we don't focus on that, if we don't develop that, then, you know, Lav Dafka, another Blada Gemara, is going to be able to, to, to solve that for you. Of course, when we learn Torah, it deepens our connection to Hashem. No one's, no one's disputing that. But if I don't take the time to emphasize that interconnection that's being described, if I don't, if I don't have that confidence to go out to the world with a deep sense of, of pride and commitment and an unwavering desire to be connected to Hashem... You see people fall apart, and I think that's the trickle that you, that you started with. You know, seeing people my age, people who in yeshiva were much more serious superficially than me in terms of their learning, their hours of learning, their level of hasmada. But there's a, there's a certain connection that if you don't develop it now, if you don't solidify it, and of course it grows over the course of a lifetime, but if you, don't, if you don't lock it in in a certain way, it's unbelievable how quickly some of those uh, connections to the base medrash, to yeshiva, some of those feelings can, can disappear. This one mentioned just one uh, related point, but uh, it's only about something that's not focused on enough, um, or perhaps something that I wish that I was maybe even more co- cognizant about in my 20s. You know, we all experience Yahadus at an early age. I definitely felt this in Or Yushalayim back in 1876, whenever I was there, 1990. You know, sort of the Hislavus of Yahadus, the that awakening of Yahadus, the first time really learning, learning how to learn. I'm thinking about Chagigas and YU, thinking about just, you know, but do we have like enough of a consciousness of what Revolvi describes as the Me'av Vayimei Sinah, 
the, the nature of religious life, of the, by definition, the low points, the dry points, the uninspired points. Sunday refers to often as sort of the back and forth of nochach, v'nistar, God's in front of us, and then God's hidden. And if you're not prepared for that, then all of a sudden you go through this incredibly difficult dry period in your life where it's just, you know, the fire is gone, and then what? You know, then what do you have? And just to say, this is it. Any strong emotion, by definition, needs to be followed by yemesinna, by downtimes, and I'm prepared for that, and I can live through that, and I can sort of fight through those times. And I'm not sure if that's something which there's sort of like enough of cognizance about for the average 18-year-old or 22-year-old as they sort of you know, continue on this journey forward. If I could add, and as a point of transition, I had a chavrusa, a very, a very, very chash of chavrusa, who, whose mother used to always say that she sheps nachas, when she sees her children wearing tefillin at Mincha. What does that mean? She knew that her kids woke up late, they, they weren't there in the morning, and they knew that it was important, important enough to them that they're still wearing it during Mincha. Now, different Bati Midrashim have different policies about whether or not to do that. But I want to paint two, two scenarios for you. Morning Seder starts at 9, something happens, oversleep, this and that, you wake up, it's 10.30. You wake up late for davening. Some Jews, it's finals week, and you're studying, and you haven't been in the base measures like, like you normally are, like that chevra that you are. So for some people, it's easier to not show up at all, because now you're, if, if you don't show up at all, nobody knows you're around, they don't think about you, and they say, oh, something may have came up, he was sick, or something was going on. But to show up late, show up late says something else. To show up late says that I'm willing to sacrifice my standing and my signaling to my friends of what type of base medrash guy I am, what type of YU guy I am, which is a big part of what drives us. And I'm willing to sacrifice that, which requires a little bit of busha, a little bit of anava, for my personal love and relationship for being among the base medrash. And I think that... Somebody who later on in life, when you're in your non-base medrash years, and you're able to walk into a base medrash on a Sunday, and all the people have been there, it's not Sunday for them, it's Sunday for you. And you're able to walk in and not feel a sense of, I'm not here, I don't belong here, and pull up a chair, and learn with the chavrusa, and schmooze, and catch up, and be a part of the avira, the enjoyment both the Kiyuma and the Bitula of the base Medrash life, I think is a really healthy skill that will help you foster long-term learning relationships. But on that note, a lot of times people can bump into a older person, a mentor who they looked up to, and the mentor looks different. You remember them from your, 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 your summer in NCSY Kolel, or Madrich in, in camp, uh, and now they're further down the line they look more chilled out and you start to ask yourself is this, is this kind of the path that everybody needs to take that everybody eventually chills out and it, or, or this person is, it shouldn't be a part of my world and this is just he made wrong decisions what is the relationship we all see people we all know people who they had times where they were plugged into yeshiva it was a part of their life and then they move on, and, and it, it looks like they're, they're, they're not plugged in in that way. 
how should people relate, so to speak, to the normalcy and the integration of long-term B'nai Torah living while still being able to maintain a sense of real commitment and loyalty to, uh, to the B'nai Yeshiva? Well, if you don't mind, I want to not necessarily change the question, but just maybe uh, frame it in a way that I'm more comfortable with. Um, you know, I don't think that a person, as they leave the base medrash, um, needs to lose intensity. They need to lose focus. They can still be people of like enormous sheifos and normal enormous ambitions. Um, and sometimes even life can almost allow for that intensity because you have to get up if you really want to learn at 5.30 in the morning and you have to sort of push yourself more. And, but I think a healthy person, and I can definitely say this for myself, and I can imagine also for, for my father here as well, um, also just allows for a certain acceptance of people, acceptance of other people. Um, certainly being a rub of a shul, you see this as well. When I was in yeshiva, there's such a sense of of right or wrong, and you know, my parents are not doing it the right way, and this guy in shul was talking as this, and just like walking around with this sort of this sense of, I won't say superiority, but like this intensity, um, clapping the rest of the world. And I think like a healthy person can sort of um, maintain and continue his own personal intensity, his own personal drive, those same ambitions, while at the same time just sort of like allowing for like the rest of the world to live, you know, and to, and to say, wow, this is a person who comes to shul. Okay, so he's talking the whole time, but he's sending his kids to yeshiva, and, and okay, so if my brother's not this, or just a certain understanding of how difficult sometimes religious life is, and just an acceptance of that and an embrace of people, and to maintain that balance, the personal intensity along with sort of a communal um, openness and warmth. I think it's a, it's a healthy balance. To me, one of my, one of my all-time favorite people who I never met was Shlomo Freifeld. And <clears throat> Freifeld was once sitting with a group of public school kids, and he was introducing himself to the group, and the group was introducing themselves to him. And he was going around the room and he was calling on, he was calling on different, different students. So he turns to one young man, he says, what's your name? So he says, my name is Charlie. He says, oh, Charlie, it's a very nice, it's a very nice name. Do you have a Jewish, do you have a Hebrew name, have a Jewish name? He says, my Hebrew name is Chaim. So I fry says, oh, Chaim means life. And he gives him a whole drasha about, you know, what it means to be Chaim. And he goes to the next young lady and says, what, what's your name? My name is uh, Jessica. Do you have a Jewish name? Sarah Chava. Wow, Sarah and Chava. And he says, and he's going around the whole circle like this. Rav Freifeld, for those who don't know, Rav Freifeld was the founder of Shari Yashiv. Rav Freifeld was a, a very charismatic person, a very uh, regal-looking individual, tall and, and had a real hadras upon him. And when it was finally Rav Freifeld's turn to introduce himself, he said, now it's my turn to introduce myself. He said, my name is Shlomo Freifeld. He said, but I wasn't always Shlomo Freifeld. I wasn't always Shlomo Freifeld. He said, when I was born, my, my father named me Shlomo at the Bris. He said, but my mother liked to call me Seymour. My name was Seymour. My mom called me Seymour. She liked the name Seymour. And then Rabbi Freifeld said, he said, don't be fooled by my long white beard or my long coat. Rabbi Freifeld said, it took time for me to become comfortable with being Shlomo and not being Seymour anymore. And then Rabbi Freifeld said, and he often would say this line, life is an evolution, not a revolution. And I think that's such an important and healthy outlook for us, to, for us to have, to understand that life is a process. And 
there's going to be times of up, there's going to be times of down. It's not, it's not so much about chilling out, it's not about becoming casual about our Yiddishkeit, but it's an understanding that different times call for different things. That there's times in my life where I'm able to be more intense in an outward way, and there's times where I need to sort of just kind of hold the ground and not allow myself to, and not allow myself to slip. And I think, again, really on point of what we're talking about tonight, is that that's what happens to a lot of people. I lose that intensity. I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed of looking back at an image of myself, whether it was diving with a certain intensity or learning with a certain intensity. And I become almost cynical of that experience because I feel like now my life doesn't allow me that opportunity. But when a person understands that life is an evolution, not a revolution, and spiritual growth takes place gradually, and it doesn't happen in a second, but a person takes an approach. My brother always says, if he was the Rav of the Shul, he would write on the Paroch as La'at La'at. That would be the Pasuk on the... La'at La'at, take it slow. Because that's, that's, that's really how it works. Remember when I was in Wai Yorai, Simon quoted the Medrash Shira Shira. It says that a foolish person looks at the whole Torah and says, forget it, like, what's, what's the point? I'm never going to get anywhere. There's so much to do. And a wise person, the Medrash Shira Shira says, you learn two halachos today and you learn two halachos tomorrow. That's not chilling out. That, that's different times call for a different way of being able to continue to grow. And I think a person who keeps their, kind of their eye on the prize and stays focused on where they want to be will eventually get there. We're going to move to the next topic. We're going to move to the next topic. And the next topic is about career professions, there's probably no other area in the Orthodox community right now that causes as much Shabbos table conversations and anxiety than the financial stress uh, that living <coughs> an Orthodox life can take on somebody. The question is, what would you tell somebody who's trying to figure out and negotiate between the anxieties and the pressures of an Orthodox life and being able to have a meaningful career? And what are the key ingredients of having a meaningful career and life that you can balance with an inner world that still is fertile and, and uplifting. It's a great question, and there are so many different pieces to this question. First, I just want to begin that uh, Rabbi Shev can use the word, and it's an appropriate word, of anxiety. and. I just think it's really important for anybody in any situation to feel that, okay, this is a challenge, and there's a challenge in front of me, and it's a challenge that requires thoughtfulness, but it's something that I can sort of negotiate, it's something that I can work through. But once it becomes like an anxiety, once it becomes like our life feels like just wrecked with nervousness, it's, you know, that Daga Belevish that most of you referred to, it's so toxic, you know, and a person say, just, you know what, okay, I can, I can work through this, and I can find the help to work through it. I think it's absolutely critical, a few things, when a person looks at a profession. The first is, in all of these questions, that a person really has to have a very clear idea about themselves, to really know themselves, and to ask themselves, am I somebody that just for my own happiness, um, needs to be doing something in a, I guess, a quote-unquote meaningful profession? Is that something that I, I need in my life and I'm going to have enormous regrets if I don't? 
Or maybe I can be a person who's an actuary or an accountant and have a very rich and meaningful life besides that. But just to have that inner idea of who, I, who am I, what's going to allow me a feeling of real sipakanefesh, what's going to allow me a sense of happiness. So that's number one, to have a very clear sense of oneself. And a person then feels, you know what, I would love to go into Klei Kodesh. I would love to become a Rav. I would love to become a psychologist or something in the Jewish community. To really say, you know what, let me look into it, as Moshe C. said before. Let me find out the logistics. Let me find out the finances. Let me speak to people. Am I qualified to do this? Do I have the skills to do it? And then to have a sense of just strength and confidence that, you know what, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make a living, and as people, many people do in these areas. And, and, um, but again, to have that, that idea. Now, if a person decides to not go into Clay Kodesh, or not go into psychology, or not go into fill in the blank, it is such a misnomer and is so destructive to a person to then feel that somehow my life is, is less meaningful or it's not meaningful. You know, a person in, in every act of what they do, in every moment of every day, brings meaning to their life. How they carry themselves and how they speak and, and what they do and their attitude and the energy they spread and their involvement in the community and how they walk down the hallways and how they just, you can go through and pinpoint a thousand meaningful moments a day. And the biggest misnomer is to somehow feel that, okay, I'm leaving yeshiva and then somehow it's not a world of growth. It's not a, it's not a world of meaning. And Again, that, that adds to the feeling of depression, it adds to the feeling of I've moved so far away, instead of saying, you know what, this is a, a different stage of growth and a different stage of life and, and a stage of, of giving back and a stage of being a great parent and a stage of... And you know the beauty of that type of life, feeling that literally every second, every conversation, something meaningful is brought to it and something <coughs> eternal is brought to that. And again, I think just that, that sense of optimism, of what my life can be, no matter what field I, I choose, I think that's so critical. Without the anxiety and without the you know, sense of bidyeved. And um, again, and, and these are the years to sort of work on that mentality now. I'll just go back to one of the first things I said, which is about just knowing the mitzvahs. I mean, t- talking about balancing which is, I would say, at least half of the conversations I have with Talmidim, trying to figure out how do I balance learning in college, how do I balance dating and learning, how do I balance fill in the blank. I think just knowing that life is overwhelming, and yet that's an awesome bracha, is something that needs to be stated bepemali. One, one of the most chizukdik things I think I ever read in my life was in a Jewish action a couple summers ago, when they had a piece on Rabbi Belsky's Atzal, and Rybelski described what it was like one summer in Camp Aguda, Shabbos afternoon for lunch. It was a time of financial difficulty for, for the camp. And they were only able to afford one watermelon for dessert for 144 people on the camp. And he said they sat there and they cut up the watermelon so that everyone could get dessert. They cut up the watermelon into 144 little pieces. And Rybelski, who was like a superhuman Tamil Chacham, and human being, and knew everything about everything, Rybelsky said, sometimes I feel like I'm that watermelon. That I'm sliced into 144 little pieces. I'm trying to be a husband and a father and a Rebbe and a Talmud and a friend and a child to my parents. We're, we're pulled in a million different directions. Sometimes just knowing that that's the mitzvah of life, knowing that 
I'll say for myself, and I don't think I'm overstepping by saying for the two Rebbeim alongside me, that we all, we all feel that way. We're all trying to figure out how to balance the millions of different things that are really important to us, rightfully so. Um, but having said that, and understanding that, you know, that that, that is the Metzius of life, I think like Rabbi Blass said, to, to be able to realize that meaningful experiences are different in different situations. Like Rashi says in Parshas Vaschanah, and Shalo Yehei Libcha Chaluk Ala Makom. Which, of course, in a simple sense, means that a heart shouldn't be divided in terms of my recognition of Hashem. But it also means that to be able to be where I am and to say, there's above a common life, and there's above Metzian life, and there's above a Basar of life. And to know that different times call for different, for different things. And making a Parnassar of one's family is a meaningful experience, regardless of what career you're in. And to be able to believe that, not as, not as a Vart, but to really internalize it in a way that you can live it, I think is, uh, is a tremendous game changer in terms of one being able to, to really feel that I'm not, I'm not divided into a million different pieces, but it's all part of the big picture of who I am. We're uh, coming to the end, and we have just a little bit more time for that last topic, and maybe time for a final question, we'll see. When it comes to establishing a family and the process of dating, I'm sure all of you have... <laughs> Talmidim and students who talk to you and discuss this, what do you think are the most common mistakes that people are made, making during the process of dating? And what opportunities and qualities should people be focusing more on during the process of dating? Now, I think there's a uh, misconception that has uh, ruined uh, many, many relationships. And the misconception is that before I get married and before I decide to marry someone, I need to feel something. A thunderbolt, a certainty, I need to be uh, uh, somewhere on cloud nine, I need to feel this is the most glorious you know, time of my life, I need to feel that every time I'm with the girl that I'm dating, I'm just so enthusiastic to see her. And, and that sort of necessity is something that is just an absolute killer. Um, because to decide to get married to a person um, is a decision. And obviously you have to like the person, you have to enjoy being around the person, and there has to be some level of excitement, whatever that might be. But it's a decision. It's a decision to sit down and say, what makes a good marriage? And this is, again, where the advice about speaking to people about, you know, what, what do I need in a marriage? What should I be looking for? What is important? What's not important? And when I speak to guys here, and many guys know this, I say it comes really down to, like, five specific questions. I'm not going to go through all of them now. And if you can say that, yeah, I can, I can with a certain amount of confidence, say yes to those five questions, then you'll have like a great chance of establishing a great relationship. But waiting for things to be perfect, waiting to feel that I'm in love, waiting to feel this, waiting that, you know, looking for someone who's perfect, looking just, you know, those are the things that keep people single, you know, many, many decades in the future. And again, the recognition that the big life decisions, what to do, where I should live, who I should marry, are decisions that are made thoughtfully and doesn't necessarily come because a person is, is overwhelmed with a, a spirit of certainty. I think that's something which is, is absolutely critical. I'll, I'll just say that people sometimes, when they're dating, are very fixated on certain things. 
maybe I'm saying something that's obvious, but obvious things sometimes need to be stated. And very often life doesn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go. And I think it's true for all the topics we spoke about tonight. In terms of how I want to be five years out religiously, where I want to see myself professionally, financially, meaningfulness in my profession, in terms of my relationships, exactly where things are going to go. It's very, it's very hard. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu throws a lot of curveballs at us. And if in the dating process a person has certain things that they're hung up on, sometimes a Talmud will say to me, you know, this is good, this is good, this is good, and, like, and this thing bothers me. And I'll just say so simply, like, if you think there's not going to be a something that bothers you, then there's, it's just not possible. I think it's what Rabbi Blas is saying. That there's no, there is no perfect that's out there. And to imagine that that's going to be that way is simply not true. To develop a flexibility in the relationship, to find someone who has that understanding that life comes at you in a lot of different ways, and to be able to, to, be able to navigate different situations and to not be locked in, I think is really, I think is really the, the asoda to everything we're talking about tonight. To be a person of growth, to have a growth mindset, to be flexible, to understand that, yes, I have to plan, I have to, like the title of tonight's panel was to sort of set a vision for myself for the years ahead, but at the same time to understand there's a lot of things that come our way, brachos and klalos, and they should be few and far between, but there are things that happen in our life that we didn't sign up for. And we have to be able to, we have to, be able to, to navigate those with the flexibility, and marrying someone or finding someone who understands that your life is not going to be defined, as our blessed said, in those, those you know, most exciting moments of the dating period, or the courtship, but life is going to be in being able to communicate and being able to connect to a person when life throws challenges at us, I think is really, is really what it's all about. Plan with just a final question and thought, if we could do yeah. it a little quickly, is what do you think is the most important decision of your 20s? Before I answer that, it's like a lot of pressure answering that question. Um, I did want to mention that we didn't have a chance to get to, uh, to everything this evening, but I would just want to encourage everybody in this room, I'm sure a mistake that I made at times, and probably most of you as well, a person's always looking backwards. You know, I wish I'd done this differently, I, I wish I went to maybe this yeshiva, maybe that summer I should have done this, if I only did that. Then you're always looking forwards. You know, when am I going to start dating? And when am I going to start working? Maybe I should do these eight things to prepare for the future. And maybe down the road, how am I going to maximize? And, and just to sort of live in the beauty even of this room, you know, of this time of life. You know, friends and based Medrash and Rubeyim and you know, being in New York and just the thousand things in our life. And to revel in the beauty of that and the greatness of that, opportunities that people never had before. I think that when a person thinks about the most important decision or decisions they're going to make in life, first of all, I just want to mention that everything at this stage of life, every decision is grounded on three things. A person knowing themselves, person being healthy as opposed to running from something and making bad decisions, and a person being focused and ambitious. A person needs all three of those things to be successful. Self-knowledge, healthiness, and ambition. I think the most important decision, and I guess this goes without saying, is the person that you marry and 
The reason that I say that is because everything in your life sort of ends up revolving around that. You know, your home, the happiness of your home, you know, your children. But what I specifically mean is that life has a way, especially as you start to work and you leave yeshiva, of just the, the drive lessons. You sort of settle into a certain type of life. And to marry someone who really herself is growth-oriented and normal and healthy and knows when it's the right time, but herself is a real Eved Hashem, and she herself is a, is a Balas Chesed, and she herself wants to have a certain type of home, and she's the one who the kids can look at as, as like a model of Yerushimayim and a model of Simcha Sachayim and, and sets that tone for your life, that is, I can't say everything, but that is just such an enormous piece. You shouldn't be marrying somebody or anything in life where you're sort of bringing up everything around you, that's also important. But you always want to be with someone or in a situation where you're, you're being lifted by that person, you're being lifted by that avira. And that includes also, I know it has to be quick, but you know, where am I going to move after I finish YU? Like, I'll go to a place where the avira, the place, is going to lift me up. You know, people are growing and people are kind-hearted, people are doing chesed, and there's a culture in the community. You know, are we living a life around people and friends who are just we're connecting with, who are helping us bring this up. Every single decision from now on in, again, it's all a question of, you know, how am I moving in a certain direction in life? Friends, community, spouse, free time. If a person can do that, they're always in a, in a place of, of aliyah and a place of growth. I'm, I'm going to let our chef can answer this one, because we spoke about this, and I've had more time than he has, so go for it. I know, what you, I know what you have to say. I'm going to say it quickly, we'll end with this. I, uh, in my time in yeshiva, a lot of people say that you need to be able to find a Rebbe. And I think that's important. But I think it's even more important to find a Hebra, to find friends. And if I am the embodiment, and I've described myself before as the living embodiment of Ha'or Shabbat, of the power of a Hebra of Torah, being able to return somebody to a, a life of commitment and back to the base Medrash, I think that Torah comes through friends with experience. If I could just say at the very end, the most important decision that all of you should keep in mind is learning how to make decisions. And that means learning how to love your decisions, learning how to be misameach with your decisions. And I think most of all, what we've discussed today, learning how to have rachmanus on your decisions. A little bit of rachmanus. We don't always make the right decision. We have to be able to live with a little bit of, of rachmanus, of sweetness, and of elevation of the decisions that we have already made and move forward for a life of Torah and Chedah. Just before we conclude, and thank you so much, I just want to um, mention, obviously, that the three of us and the other mashkich and Bayim, we're, we're always here. This is why we're here. It's because we love the Talmudim here. Feel free to reach out to us day or night. If it's past 1 o'clock in the morning, please call Moshe Tzvi and not myself. <laughs> and I also want to ask that a very dear uh, friend of ours, Moshe Tzvi's brother, who's well known to, I'm sure, many of you, Adabla Weinberg, um, is a Nidr Fushlema, a beautiful, beautiful person just a beautiful human being, so that the learning this evening and the learning the rest of the night, it will be in the schools of Fushlema for David, Hanach Mordechai, and...
Freda Simcha. And Simcha is to all of us. Thank you.